Wellspring podcast is presented by Wellspring of Life Church, a community of faith, hope, and purpose. Um, so I'm sure you guys have heard um, there's news happening all the time, but pretty significant um, events. Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu has vowed war. Um, Israel was attacked, and hundreds and hundreds of people have been killed, more being killed at the moment, whether it's the retaliation or the fact that Hamas has taken capture a lot of Israelis from their homes and um, are holding them, murdering them. So it's some pretty horrific things happening currently. Um, I've been looking at updates throughout the day. Um, I'm not going to share all those. You guys can can look into those. But um, we're looking at a pretty significant event taking place right now. And and the Middle East could radically get disrupted more than it already is through through this. Um, So I would like to, before we start today, I'd like to just take a moment of silence. I'm going to let you guys pray on your own, and then um, we'll get started for this evening. You guys just continue to pray over that situation. Um, Keep an eye on how things unfold over the coming days. And um, hopefully, I mean, we know God is in control, right? And we know that God loves Israel as he loves everyone. Um, but, but God is definitely going to be invested in this situation. Um, all right, so this evening, I'd like to focus on what I believe is one of the most underrated people in the entire Bible. Anybody have any guesses? <laughs> awesome guess. Um, Okay, (laughs) women. Yeah, women are definitely very, very underrated, especially um, in the Bible. So I'm going to start with some trivia questions for you guys. Who is David's closest friend? Jonathan. Jonathan, yeah. And who is Jonathan's father? Why is this problematic? (laughs) Yeah, Saul was jealous of David, right? Um, that, that's certainly part of it. And I think Jonathan quite often gets overshadowed because of David. And that's going to be one of the points that I bring up. Like Jonathan, the story of Jonathan could have gone drastically different had he not been a godly man. And that's true for any of us, right? We are met with choices, critical choices. We might be chosen to play more of a backseat role, one of those supporting characters. But I'd also make the point that there is only one main character in the story of the Bible. Everyone else is a supporting character, right? We know Jesus is on the main stage from front to back. We're all supporting characters, but some of us aren't going to be out there in the front, right? Some of us might be in more of a, more of a supportive role And Jonathan, I mean, he didn't start out that way, which is the thing, but because of his incredible humility, he's going to. And I I very much admire 
Jonathan. Um, I think all of us could learn a lot from his life and incorporate those things into the way that we live our lives. Um, so that's what we're going to do tonight. We're going to look at Jonathan's life. We're going to look at some things that he did, some choices he made, and how that obviously reflects Christ. Because what are we doing if we're not talking about Christ, right? It ultimately comes back to him as our centerpiece. Um, so really, I'm going to look at how Jonathan, too, um, lived out godly lifestyle and how that points us towards Jesus. So the first thing I want to talk about is pre-Jonathan meeting David. So in 1 Samuel, we see his story um, following along with his father's um, 13, chapter 13 of, of 1 Samuel is where he makes a big appearance. He hits the stage in a big way. Um, Jonathan was very much famed for his courage. You know, he didn't let numbers deter him because, you know, he had a really deep trust in God. And a lot of times in 1 Samuel, there is another story that exemplifies that, that often overshadows these stories building up to it. Anybody know what story I'm talking about? David and Goliath. Right? Again, David gets pushed into the spotlight and Jonathan moves back. But here, we're going to look at a story in 1 Samuel chapter 14 where Jonathan actually, um, I mean, he's a beast to say the least. You guys are going to see, maybe you haven't, haven't read this story in a while, but I'm going to share it with you. So just to set the, the context for it, in chapter 13, we hear about Jonathan being put in command of this garrison of about a thousand men for Israel, and he goes and just wrecks the Philistines. And then that's like pounding on a, a, you know, a wasp nest that just stirs them up, and the Philistines put together this army of about 30,000 people, and they've got Israel on the run. Saul tucktailed and took off, and they're hiding in, in, the, in holes in the mountain. Israel is hiding. So let's see what Jonathan does in response to this. Picking up in verse 6, Jonathan said to the young man who carried his armor, come let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be the Lord will work for us, for nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. And his armor bearer said to him, do all that is in your heart. Do as you wish. Behold, I am with you, heart and soul. I also love the armor bearer. Man. I wish I knew his name because he was awesome too. And then it proceeds in here. So they're like going through this cavern. These rocky crags are on both sides. And you've got Jonathan and his armor bearer. That's it. Two people, right? You guys hear the story about Thermopylae and the 300 Spartans against the Persian army. It's like, that's nothing. We've got two people going up against a massive Persian army. And they're going through, like anybody that knows warfare strategy, you don't go through the, this kind of situation where they're up on the high ground. You're just setting yourself up for disaster, to be ambushed. But you proceed through there. 
um, through the next several verses, and Jonathan just tells his armor bearer, like, this is what we're going to do. We're going to go there. We're going to taunt them, right, just me and you. We're going to taunt them, and if they tell us to wait there, we'll wait, and they'll come down. We'll fight them here. If they say come up, we're going to go up, and we're going to fight them. So picking up in verse 13, then Jonathan climbed up on his hands and feet because the Philistines seeing these two are like, come on, come on up here. So they went, um, and his armor bearer after him, and they fell before Jonathan, and his armor bearer killed them after him. And, the, and that first strike, which Jonathan and his armor bearer made, killed about 20 men within, as it were, half a furrow's length in an acre of land. And there was panic in the camp, in the field, and among all the people, the garrison and even the raiders trembled, and the earth quaked, and it became a very great panic. Jonathan and his armor-bearer put 30,000 Philistines on the run. And then as we come to find out, Saul's like, what, what's going on here? And they're like, Where, you know, where's my son? And they figure out that his son took off, and then he sees all of this happening, and then Saul muscles up and gets his troops out and pursues them and has a victory. Because Jonathan and his armor bearer had the courage to step out and had the courage to take on these insurmountable odds because of their faith in the Lord. And yes, I don't want it to take away from David and Goliath, and that story is also encouraging. But how about this story? And and David's going to say, Later on, similar things that Jonathan said here, that the Lord is able to deliver. And he went out against the Philistines in the name of the Lord. You know, we hear phrases a lot, like Joshua 1.9, be strong and of good courage, right? And then we talk about 2 Timothy 1.7, where we are not given a spirit of fear, right? Fear appears a lot. And I know there's that that thing out there where um, it says, do not fear 365 times in the Bible. I still haven't been able to tweak the Bible enough to make it go uh, say that 365 times. Um, But it says it a lot, right? Um, God himself commanded it, either do not fear or do not be afraid over 100 times. It's one of the most prevalent phrases or commands that God gives throughout the Bible. And then there's other people, other godly people, the prophets and things telling, do not fear, right? And it's not like God is just saying this just because, right? You know, there's that phrase, do this because I said so. God's not that kind of parent, right? He's not up there just saying, don't be afraid because I said so. He's Every time he says it, it's because he puts himself in the equation. He says, do not be afraid because I am going with you. I am going before you. I am upholding you. Don't be afraid because I am in the equation. And because God made all 30,000 of those Philistines, Jonathan had no reason to truly fear. And, you know, it's easy 
it is easy in life to, to look at these odds, these insurmountable odds, and to start freaking out, right? To, to panic, to get anxiety, to fear the unknown. And then that makes us freeze. And then we don't act. But I don't know what's going on in your life right now. Maybe you've got 30,000 Philistines hanging out in front of you. And I would just encourage you, find your armor bearer, say, let's go. You don't know his name? It's Jesus. <laughs> you set me up for that one. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, um, <laughs> you know, it reminds me of the story when um, Jesus is in the boat, right, just taking a nap, and then there's a huge storm on the Sea of Galilee or Lake Tiberias, and, and all of his disciples are just freaking out in the boat. And what does Jesus say? He says, why are you afraid, O oh, you of little faith? And the, and the point is, guys, our level of fear is directly associated with our level of faith. The more we're afraid, the less we believe. The more we believe, the less we fear. And it's that way over and over and over again. We are not putting God in the equation of our life if we're living in fear. And God wants us, men, women, he wants us to live courageously. And maybe you are right now. If you are, awesome. If not, what adjustments do you need to make in your life to step out to be courageous? To be courageous for the sake of the gospel. I'm not talking about go climb a 14er um, with no gear, go climb Mount Everest or anything like that. I'm not talking about recklessness. I am talking about stepping out in courage to make God's glory known. Because ultimately what happened with Jonathan defeating those 20 and then stirring up everybody in panic, God's glory was made known among the Philistines and among the people of Israel. Another thing that we can pick up from Jonathan, I want to fast forward now to when Jonathan meets David. So the next, the next one's going to be about four chapters later. Uh, it's not the first time we see David. David is going to make some, some appearances between this major victory that Jonathan led, and then we're going to have the story of David and the Goliath, David and Goliath. But um, basically what happens is in the chapters in between, Jonathan's great heroism and him meeting with David, you're going to get Saul, his dad, is going to be rejected as king by the Lord. David gets anointed. David defeats Goliath and, and embarks on some major victories. And then all of a sudden, we're, we're in this situation when Jonathan meets this guy, when Jonathan meets David, he's meeting somebody whose victories have completely overshadowed his own. And as we know, when that happens, people are met with a choice. Most of the time, people's pride kicks in. Right? I mean, and put yourself in, in Jonathan's shoes. You just became the hero of Israel. You are first in line to the throne. You will be king after your father, and you have military victory after military victory, and then all of a sudden there's this new guy. 
What was Saul's reaction when David started getting praise? He wanted to kill him. His son very much could have taken that same path and aided in the process. However, Jonathan is going to exemplify something completely different. So I want to pick up in 1 Samuel 18. And here we're going to see Jonathan's response. So as soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. Not only does he welcome him in, you know his robe is a royal robe. Who else do you know granted us royalty and welcomed us in? I mean, this is a picture exactly of what Jesus is doing for us. David didn't warrant it, didn't deserve this overflow of love that Jonathan is, is showing him. But he equips him. He gives him all of his stuff. Grants him the status of royalty when he very well could have been jealous. And all this does, this shows us what it actually looks like to love thy neighbor as ourselves. And that phrase that his soul was knit and he loved him as his own soul, guys, that's what we are supposed to be about. When Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself, you, lo you love yourself. You do. Right? I love myself. It looks different for all of us. And the fact is, we don't love other people enough. We don't love people like we should be loving. We, we can't actually say that about very many people. That I love them as myself. And if you put yourself in David's shoes, most people that would put themselves in, in Jonathan's shoes would have viewed David as an enemy. An enemy to his future, an enemy to his hopes and dreams, an enemy to his popularity, an enemy to his status, to his reputation, whatever. But Jonathan and David represent this picture of what brotherhood in the church should look like. And, when, and, I, and I really believe that's what Jesus was trying to create among his disciples and then among his larger community and then sending them out to do the same thing, to take care of each other as well, if not better, than you would take care of yourself because Jonathan goes above and beyond and gives him all of his stuff. Philippians chapter 2 is, is one of those passages that you can just keep going back to over and over. Um, there's so much in there. But picking up in verse 3, it says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Again, it's not like Jesus is saying or God is saying, 
like, go treat people better than yourself. He's like, all of that is rooted in what I showed you. All of that comes from having the same mind that I have. Picking up in verse 6, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And we consider surrendering our own lives as being pretty difficult, especially for difficult people. And, and it can be hard. I, I'm, I'm not up here trying to say that laying down your life is easy. It, it's certainly not. Jesus, look at the, the turmoil that he had in the garden leading up to the crucifixion. He knew it was at stake. He knew it was coming, and it was hard. But guys, we need to be serving both in the small as well as the big things. And we need to be willing to set aside our own expectations and embrace what God is doing in our lives. Jonathan, I, I have no doubt that Jonathan had expectations. That he's, he had a plan for his life, that he was going to be king, that he was going to continue his military prowess, that it was going well. And at the peak, at the mountaintop, God intervened and brought David in. And Jonathan willingly stepped off the mountaintop and let somebody else step up. And just think about when is the last time we did that? When is the last time we faded to the back to put other people ahead of us? It should be a daily thing, right? It should be what we are all about because Jesus lived that. Jesus demonstrated that and called us to do the same thing. But we have plans. You know, I'm a planner. Um, my life is, is pretty busy and pretty hectic, so I, I find myself planning five, six weeks out with a lot of things, sometimes further out. You know, we got to set up things with family. It's like, okay, let me get my calendar out, and we got to find these hours of time within there. And, and I know God is, is still working through that schedule and is going to disrupt it. Right? We need to live with the expectation that God is going to disrupt our schedule. God is going to meet with us. God's going to put people in our lives that we didn't expect. God is going to put events in our lives that we didn't expect. And we have to have the humility to be able to step back and embrace that. As difficult as it might be. Another thing that we get from Jonathan is a couple chapters later in chapter 20. I know I'm kind of skipping around through here, so I would just really encourage you guys to go back and read um, this, this story. It's pretty incredible. So we're going to look at verse 31. David here talking um, to Jonathan says, For as long as the son of Jesse, referring to David, lives on the earth, neither you nor your kingdom shall be established. Therefore, send and bring him to me, 
for he shall surely die. So Saul is presenting an opportunity for Jonathan to reclaim his position. And Jonathan is confronted with that reality. All, like he might have already been thinking about it, but here his dad is, is coming out and saying, like, you are not going to be king as long as he is alive. Who else do you know tries to disrupt the plans of God and whisper in our ear and get us to do the wrong thing? Right? Saul is very much in that position. He is very much a Satan character. Or the Satan is somebody that is opposed. Anybody opposed to the will of God can be considered a Satan or a Satan. Right? And that is what he is, he is doing here. Is he is trying to stand in the way of what God is doing. And he's trying to encourage Jonathan to do the same thing. And he's given that choice. Stand against David, stand with his father, or stand with God's purposes. Stand with God's plan. In verse 42, further down, Then Jonathan said to David, Go in peace, because we have sworn both of us in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord shall be between me and you, and between my offspring and your offspring forever. Between verse 31 and verse 42, Jonathan made the, the choice again, because we have to make that choice every day. Because we're going to be presented with the opportunities to make the wrong choice, just like we're presented with the opportunities to make the right choice every single day. And amazingly, here again, Jonathan being given an opportunity to do the wrong thing amazingly exemplifies humility and submitted himself to the will of God even though it meant surrendering his future kingdom. Do you guys remember what, what Satan tried to tempt Jesus with out in the desert? Kingdoms, right? All the kingdoms of the world, the glories, the riches, the name, the power, the prestige, the reputation. We see Jonathan exemplifying here the Galatians 2.20 for it is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It is removing yourself from the equation and putting God in control and standing with God no matter what it costs you because you know it's the right thing. He didn't pursue his own interests. He didn't push for his own way. And when he realized that God wanted to establish David and not himself, said, then I want to establish David and not myself. Again, in 1 Samuel 23, much later on in verse 17, he repeats this notion. And he said to him, do not fear, for the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Saul, my father, also knows this. Jonathan chooses to be steadfast when the opportunity to step aside of God's will is presented. At the very least, Jonathan could have just done nothing. Right? He, he has, I guess, not just the two options do what Saul wanted or do what God wanted, he could have also just done nothing. 
and we're presented with that option too. We could have, we could always just choose to not act. It's safe, not take a side, right? We're not necessarily opposing God, right? If we don't move, if we don't do anything, if we don't step out. But the reality, ladies and gentlemen, is inaction is opposition. Our inaction to be about the will of God in our lives is opposition. If God is saying, go talk to people about Jesus and we refuse, we are in outward rebellion. And I'm saying that to myself too. Not just you guys, I'm saying that to myself. We have to get up off of our keisters and move. We have to live courageously. We have to tell people about Jesus. We have to show the world Jesus, regardless of what it costs us. Regardless of it, if it takes setting aside our own personal little kingdoms that we are building here on earth, we need to be moving for the sake of the gospel. It doesn't take just being out there saying God doesn't exist. It also takes sitting at home and not telling people that God exists, not telling people that God loves you, not showing people the love of Jesus. Quite a while ago, you know, I had, I had my plans. I had, I still remember sitting in my dorm room freshman year of college, and I had my four-year plan written up on some notebook paper. I called my dad up, and I was like, hey, listen to this. I was sharing, I was prou proud of it. It didn't quite go that way over the next four years, um, but I was staying kind of on track with it, and then I was going to be a teacher, and I was going to be a wrestling coach, and then when my dad retired, I was going to take over the program, and I was going to put in um, a career being a teacher and a coach, and that was going to be incredible. And then God intervenes. <laughs> and it was hard, right? I would like to say that I was like Jonathan and be like, oh, praise you, Lord. You're sending me down another path, and Danny knows, like, it wrecked me, right? Everything was set up. I was going to take over um, in my dad's last year of coaching. He pushed me to the, the front. Um, I was basically running things like a head coach. I was learning all the ins and outs. I was ready. Um, I, I had already been told pretty much the position was going to be mine the next year. And then the interviews happened, and I was told, sorry, we're giving it to somebody else. I was like, wait a minute, that's not according to my plan. <laughs> yeah, I didn't have that written down exactly. But the fact is, that, that happened in March. So between March and May, I was really, I was in turmoil, internal turmoil. I did not understand what was going on. I was angry. I was bitter, but what it ended up doing is it, it uh, drew me closer to the Lord. And after I stopped complaining and listening, I heard the Lord, not audibly, but I heard the Lord just putting it on my heart. I was like, I want you to be proclaiming my name in that school. And you're going to do that through a club. Now, keep in mind... Teachers can't start clubs. You have to have a student initiate it. I kid you not, within the first week of school, when I go back, I had a kid walk into my room, whom I did not know, and said, hey, Mr. Stockard, I'm wanting to start a Christian club. Will you sponsor it? 
I, yeah, I was just like totally, totally shook up by it. 13 years later, it has been such a joy to be a part of this Christian club. It has looked different every year, but it has been incredible. I have got to wit- I've gotten to witness God moving in people's lives. I have seen people um, on the verge of committing suicide. The, this girl popped into my room. She's gonna ask me about a test, and she just popped into my room and saw this group meeting and was about to back out. I was like, just come on in and hang out for a minute. And she sat in the back. And then she came back the next week. And then came back the next week. And later that year, she was sharing her testimony. And she said that that night, she was going to go home and commit suicide. But God brought her in the room during a club that I had not, in, I did not have in my plans to, to even be a part of, but God intervened, brought something much better. And this year um, is also really interesting, and um, I just felt like something, something big was going to happen, and we had our club fair, and a bunch of kids signed up, said that they were interested, but that happens every year, but then a bunch of kids actually showed up. And I had this whole thing planned that I was going to share. And then God's like, no, we're going to do something different today. And so I had them just write on their cards where they're at in their faith journey and what they wanted, like any questions that they had. And come to find out, there was like six kids who were pretty strong in their faith, five that are just searching. And they were like, I haven't been to church for three Years, I saw this club. I'm going to check it out. Um, and others, there's four atheists that, that came. And then they came back last week. And we got to have this incredible conversation um, about why, first of all, I presented them, this is why I believe God exists. And I went through all the factual evidence that supports it. And then I was like, okay, there are a lot of people that believe in a God. I'm not up here supporting deism. I'm actually talking about a specific God, the one of the Bible. So then I went through and got to share with them why I believe the Bible was true and all the archaeological evidence. And then I was like, okay, let's talk about Jesus. And then I shared with them several of the prophecies. And it's like, you know, just for one man to fulfill eight of these 351 prophecies is like one in 10 to the 17th power. And it's like all these, it's like impossible, right? And he's fulfilling all of these. And then I was like, okay, then it all comes down to the resurrection. So then I got to present all this information about the historical accuracy of the resurrection, why that's true. And then we got to have a conversation about it in a high school with these kids who are searching And I'm just like, man, imagine if I was still coaching wrestling. No, thank you. Right? Not to put down wrestling or coaching or any of that, but in comparison with what God has presented, not even close. It's absolutely amazing. You know, Jesus says in Matthew 12 that it is the mark of a true Christian if you are doing the will of God. But how many of us take time to just pause and say, what is your will for me right now, today, while I go about my plans? I'm not saying don't make plans. Just make plans to have those plans interrupted, if God wants them interrupted. (laughs) 
you know, in James 4, uh, 13 through 15, there's more of a focus on, on setting our schedule. And it says in there to, to say, if the Lord wills, to always have that mindset. I'm going to do these things if the Lord wills. And if the Lord doesn't, I'm open, right? My schedule's completely open if he wants it to be open. And what is the heart of the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6.10? Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What are you doing about that? What am I doing about that? Right? What is our active role in bringing his will to earth? It's got to start in our own hearts. And the last thing I just want to close with is the fact that Jonathan was extremely loyal. Extremely loyal. Not just to David but to his father. I actually believe that David got a lot of his ideas of loyalty to the Lord's anointed by watching Jonathan and how Jonathan treated his own father. Because remember, Saul actually tries to kill Jonathan with a spear too, just like he tried to kill David. And Jonathan kept going back and going back. And in 2 Samuel 1.23, it talks about how they were never to be parted. And while Jonathan knew he was going to be about the will of God, he was not going to be disloyal at the same time. The humility of Jonathan in that situation is absolutely incredible. What it reminds me of is Ruth. Where you go, I go. Your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die. Proverbs 17, 17 talks about loving at all times. It's non-conditional. It's non-circumstantial, right? And in the, the love chapter, 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 13, 7, loyal love and what it looks like bears all things, believes all things, endures all things, hopes in all things. And what does Jesus tell us in John 15, 13? Lay down your lives. True love has no one in this, that one lays down their life for their brother. That is loyalty. And ultimately, that loyalty, that loyal love towards people who do not deserve it is rooted in the fact that God and his loyal love was shown towards you and me when we didn't deserve it, don't deserve it, won't deserve it in the future. And I just want to close. I want to um, close with just reading from Scripture. I'm going to read from Romans 5, 6 through 8, and I want this to be on our hearts as we enter into our last time of worship and communion, because ultimately this is what it is about. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person. Though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for you, for me, for all of us. And that while we were all wicked, wretched, rebellious sinners, Christ died for us. Thank you for listening to this message by Wellspring of Life Church in Western Colorado. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please visit wellspringoflifechurch.com. So I will lift up, lift up my heart.